Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 466. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you didn't notice, we skipped a week last week, and that was the first week we've skipped here on the Premed Years since we started back in November of 2012. It was time for a break, just just needed a break. But we are back, ready for more this week with Caleb Marsh. Now, Caleb is the admissions director at Temple University's CST postback program, and we're gonna talk all about postback programs today in a little comparison to SMPs and other master programs, but mostly about all of the questions surrounding postback programs. Like, how do you evaluate what's a good postback for you? Does a certificate matter? What about programs that require an MCAT score? We're gonna talk about so much about the postback process that hopefully, if you are in the need to do a postback program, you will have all of the questions answered that you have to go find a program that works best for you you. Before we jump into the session, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. If you haven't gotten your free Blueprint MCAT account yet over at blueprintmcat.com, you should go do so today. I want to talk about MCAT timing because that's a very important part of the whole application process. And we talk a little MCAT timing in our session today about maybe taking the MCAT too early, but I want to talk about taking it too late. If you apply to medical school May, June timeframe when when applications open up, you want to make sure that your MCAT is done, right? Not necessarily to have your score, but to get it out of the way so that you can work on your primary application, your secondary application. You can start prepping for your interview invites. You'll be done with your MCAT prep and maybe the classes that you're taking as well. It's out of the way for for classes that you're continuing to take. A lot of students plan on taking the MCAT September, 
August of the year that they're applying. And that's just very late. And we don't recommend it. The earlier take the MCAT, the better. Typically, January, March, April of the year that you are going to apply, which is the year before you want to start medical school. So that's the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Let's go ahead and jump in to our conversation with Caleb. Caleb, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Ryan, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm pretty excited to be here. I'm excited to chat with you about one of the most common questions that we get it, for students who struggle early on in their undergrad, and then they figure out about this whole like, oh, I can take classes after I graduate. There's this thing called a postback. Uh-oh, but there's also this thing called a SMP, a special master's program. There's also just regular master's programs. <laughs> oh my, oh my, like, where do I go? What do I do? Now, for context, you may be a little biased because you're involved with one of these types of programs. Tell, tell students what, it, what program you're involved in. Sure. Yeah, I'm part of the uh, College of Science and Technology at Temple University's uh, pre-health post-bac program. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm I'm biased in that regard. I see the value in post-bag programs and I've seen what they've helped our students accomplish, but I think you're, you're dead on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a confusing kind of thing to navigate for students. There's yeah. so many different post-bag programs out there. They do so many wonderful things, but they do them in different ways. So yeah, yeah I think you're, you're right. So for the student who's listening to this, hearing this term the, for the first time, post-bag program, how do you put it in words that, that everyone can understand exactly what it is? Sure. Yeah. The first thing I, I tell people is by definition, it literally means after your bachelor's degree. So post back is uh, courses or program, uh, a certificate or a degree granting program that you do after you've completed an undergrad degree. Um, and so if you don't have a bachelor's, there's probably really no reason for you to get involved in a post-bac program. Um, and most of them, I know there are others out there in the world that exist, but most of them kind of revolve around preparation for health professions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So post-bac program, post-baccalaureate, baccalaureate being your your undergrad degree, right? Straight up, straight up definition there. So hopefully yep. help people understand I've seen this misinterpretation or, or misunderstanding a bunch is students thinking, oh, if I want to go to medical school, I have to do a post-bac program. That's kind of the, the intermediate step to go to medical school, but it's not for everyone. In, in your mind, um, who should be thinking about a post-bac program? Yeah. There are really two groups that I think a, a post-bac program helps the most. The first may not exactly be to your audience. Uh, so if you have any listeners who have friends that are not science majors or not, weren't pre-something as an undergrad, there is a post-bac program track that's designed for folks that don't have a science background. So they might be an English major or religion major. They might have been a lawyer for a long time. They want to go back to school and then they want to pick up those, you know, those those pre-med or pre-dent prereqs from the very from scratch, right? So they want to start from the very beginning. So that's that's one way. But for I think the folks that are listening in today, um, it's really for folks that haven't, or maybe they didn't achieve to the academic level that they wanted to as an undergrad. Maybe they got off 
to a slow start in their freshman and sophomore year, particularly in the sciences. And then they want to come uh, back to school in a, in a post-bac program and take classes that will help them raise their profile, usually, again, to raise their science GPA. So there's the academic record enhancer, which is kind of what I just described, and then there's the career changer ver- version. So those are the two primary tracks for postbacks. Two different types of postbacks. All right. So yep. I'm going to read you a question and let's talk about the advice that, that you would give this student. So this is a, a question on our, our non-traditional pre-med discussion at premedforms.com. And, and they say, I'm currently a senior in college with a terrible GPA. I had a 1.4 my first semester of college, ended up flunking out with all Fs my sophomore year. I transferred to a public university a year later and have done a little bit better. My concern is that no matter what I do, my GPA will not be high enough because of the damage that was done. I'm currently sitting at a 2.4 GPA and will be taking the MCAT in July. So this was posted in April. Should I enroll in an SMP or a postbac and for how many years slash months? If you have any school recommendations, please leave them below. So this is like the quintessential, I struggled, but I want to go to medical school. Do I have a chance and tell me what I need to do? Yeah, I mean, this is, you're right. These are these are common, this is a common structure of just academic paths that we see in our applications all the time. Um, and I would say that for this particular student, and I'll, I'll speak through for my program first, um, this student doesn't seem like it's probably a good fit for a very structured one-year rigorous program like ours because what we're asking them to do is take on a lot to try to fix a grade point average in a really relatively short period of time Mm -hmm. where it sounds like to me this student may need to and this is this is another uh, post-bac realm we haven't really even discussed we talked about smp we talked about uh formal post-bac programs but you can actually take post-bac classes as not part of any formal postback program. So a student could go to their local four-year school or even sometimes a local community college and piece together a postback program in a time frame that allows them to maybe take a little longer than they wanted. Um, maybe you hadn't been the way they planned it from the beginning, yeah. um, but in a way that might allow them then to raise their GPA to the point where they could realistically take um, the MCAT and do well and apply and be a viable candidate for professional school. So I would say this student isn't out of the woods, you know, they're not, they're not, uh, or they're not, they're, their ship isn't sinking either. Um, but they, it's, it, it might take a little bit of time for them to kind of work through that. Yeah. I guess the one part of that explanation that does worry me a little bit is they say they want to sit for the MCAT. Um, and if a student who has grades, you know, as you know, many times grades do reflect your comprehension of the subject matter. Uh, not always, but in this case, I would really worry that this student really even needs to sit. So one of the things I would recommend the student do when they're looking at a postback program is, does that postback program have a formal MCAT preparation piece kind of built into it? Yeah. Um, so that, if I were the student, that's I'd, I'd maybe think about taking a little bit longer than I might have wanted, yeah. but also maybe pumping the brakes on the MCAT prep yeah. a little bit. Now, not only from a, is your foundation strong enough? But also from a, hey, you're going to probably need a couple years of, of course remediation uh, to, to get that upward trend. If you take the MCAT now, let's say you crush it, 
it may expire by the time you apply to medical school. The MCAT, uh, unfortunately, for some silly reason, it has an expiration date at most medical schools. So uh, that's that's another reason to pump the brakes there. So, Caleb, I want to touch upon something that you said, because a student listening to this is going to go, okay, you said that this type of student may not be good at a program like yours because it's a very intensive one-year program. But in my mind, if I were to put my shoes into a student listening to this, I'd go, well, if I'm going to do well in a one-year intensive program, then I probably wouldn't need that one-year intensive program to begin with because I'm already a good student. How does, how, how do you kind of recognize the fact that there are students who coming into your program, you know that they're going to do well. You hope they're going to do well, right? You assume they're going to do well based on whatever you're you're looking for, while also knowing that they've struggled as a student. Where how, how do you fix that dichotomy there? Yeah, so I, I think for us it's it's pretty easy because for us, um, the average GPA for students in our program is around a, a 3.2. So, you know, we kind of look at uh, and we don't have a minimum GPA, uh, but we also have to kind of realistically look if a student comes into our program at this point here and we're trying to get them to this point here. Can in one year we realistically and sometimes it's just as simple as the math. Mm -hmm. Does the math work out to get them from a two four to, you know, what you would hope would be a three point oh or higher to get them kind of in viable contention for an MD or DO program? And so. Mm -hmm. I would say that our program is limited in that way. So it's it's really more of a limitation of our program and less of a limitation of that student. That student can probably, as I mentioned, go and find a bit more flexible program that would allow them to take the courses, maybe not in 12 months, or maybe can directly address chemistry, for example, which is a common course that, that students do need to address to kind of get back on track. So yeah. I would say, yeah, it, it has probably more to do with the limitations of a highly structured cohort-based model like we have and less to do with that student. So yeah. I don't know if that answers your question directly, but um, there's just so many postbacks out there and, and so many different ways to approach it that this student could probably find one uh, that would help them to get where they need to go. Yeah. So what I heard you just say, and I don't know if it was a, a strategic uh, kind of number that you you threw out there, but you, you mentioned getting to that 3.0 kind of level. And we throw that out there as a general rule of thumb to kind of avoid filters and stuff um, for, for medical school applications. And a lot of students are going to hear that and go, like, a 3.0 is not going to get you into medical school, right? How do you best explain trends to students who are confused about, like, knowing they know math and they know the GPA and they know that they've struggled early on and it's going to take them like 400 credits to get to a 3.8 because that's what they think they need. How do you explain trends to people and go, you know what, your 3.0, we have to ignore the 3.0 and just look at this last body of work and go, you're good. Yeah, I mean, it, you're right because students come in sometimes so either disillusioned or discouraged already from the from the outset. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what we have to do as a postback program is is talk them up, uh, coach them up, know, know, let them know that the 3.8 isn't the, you know, the end all be all. And yeah, that would be nice and that would be wonderful. And 
sure, if you're looking at, you know, going to Stanford or NYU or some of these, you know, really high-end schools, but a lot of times our students just want to get into medical school and they, and they, they don't have to have a 3.8 and a, and a, you know, 520 in order to do that. And so, yeah, um, I actually, I forgot exactly what your question was. The but trends. I guess yeah. Talking about trends. The, the trends, you know, I'll, I'll explain it in two ways. One I kind of mentioned is the, the gap to bridge um, that we need to get from that grade they have to a grade that's viable. But I always use the, an, an airport analogy to, mm-hmm. to remind them that um, our program is extra runway. So if you're trying to get off the ground academically and after four years of college, you have reached the end of that runway and you're not in the air yet, <laughs> our postback program can give you an additional year of time to get your, your aircraft airborne. Sometimes a student may need a little bit even longer runway. They may need a two-year program to allow them to get enough grades to get them airborne. And so um, that, that's kind of how I usually explain it to students that, yes, you can start off. And, and usually I'll tell them stories of students that I've seen come to our program and be successful, students that did start off with one sevens in their freshman year, and then they had a two seven in their sophomore year, and then they had a three four in their junior year, and by their senior year, they had a three eight in that semester. And when you when you do the math, you say, okay, great, we can clearly see that this student is figuring out how to do school, how to do school well, and how, and most importantly, do school well in the sciences. Yeah. So when we see those upward trends, we say, ah, this is a student that is that has is in the right trajectory they're moving upward and if they come to our program there's evidence to demonstrate that they can get into the air yeah so those that pattern of performance is really important to us yeah. it, it's important that that students understand medical schools don't just look at that final number and go good or not good they they look at that full body of evidence all of those data points and go Show me, show me that you got up into the air at some point, right? And and, right. I, and I That's love, right. I love the the airplane analogy. Number one, being a, a private pilot myself, but number two, because we always talk about upward trends. Like a, you, you want an upward trend. If you if you struggled, right, you're a little you're a little overweight on takeoff, and it's going to take you a little bit longer to rotate um, to to get up in the air. That's okay as long as you get up in the air. Upward trends are great. That downward trend. If you, if you get up in the air and then come crashing down, like eh, it's not gonna. That's not gonna look well uh, uh, upon you either. So, I, I love that analogy. I may have to steal it from you. Um, Feel free. So that's that's great. So trends, trends, trends. I, I talk about trends all the time, and especially for postback programs, SMP programs, students who who start off struggling. Uh, the the word that I use is is your final GPA is not going to be sexy. You just need that upward trend to prove that you are academically capable of getting into uh, doing well in medical school. Right, that's that's the ultimate goal there. So let's talk about the the student who knows that they're going to need some help. If they apply to a postback program without fixing anything in their study habits and their organizational skills, time management skills, if they're still working full time because they have mouths to feed, a roof to put over their head, and they they go, well, I'm going to apply to a postback program because that's what Dr. Grant and Caleb say I need to do. Um, but they still come in with the same bad habits. They're probably not going to thrive 
in a post-bac program either. How do you talk to students about when is the best time to actually go forward and, and, and prove that academic ability? Yeah, this is something that we're really clear about from the outset. Even on our interview day, we talk about, I've already talked about it once, the rigor of our program. But we also talk to them about removing distractions that they may have in their lives that were causing kind of those negative patterns to exist in the past, right? So you mentioned you mentioned trends and you mentioned upward and downward trends. And we I, I sometimes even use the word patterns. We look for those upward patterns, but we also can see patterns of students that were having trouble and they were struggling. We in our program, and, I, and again, this is something that I think students should look for when they're looking and shopping around at different post-bac programs. Our program, for example, has a learning skills specialist. Uh, this is a person on our staff that is put in place specifically to help students hone those skills that you just talked about, study skills, time management, all of those things. And, and her, uh, Dr. Catherine Fair, she's the learning skills specialist on our team. Um, but she always says, you've been told to study, but you haven't really been taught how to study. And I always think that's a really kind yeah. of profound thing because you're right. It, it's kind of like somebody saying, go play that game of football, but not really teaching you the rules on how to play it. And you can maybe do okay, but it helps a whole heck of a lot more when you have a rule book and you have someone coaching you and guiding you along the way. And so uh, I would say that for students that that has been a struggle, know that they are going to have to change their patterns. They are going to have to focus very seriously on the, the content and learning and progressing professionally, but look for programs that have learning skills specialists or someone like them because they can really be an advocate for you and they can really help you kind of learn some new techniques to help you excel that maybe you weren't uh, using before. Yeah, I, I love it because I heard it a while ago from from someone about like, again, right, we're told to study. We We know that we need to study math. We need to study physics. We need to study whatever, right? Uh, but everyone skips the first step of studying how to study, right? Like there's 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 a step before that, and and uh, it's it's important, and it it's a never ending process, especially when you get to medical school, when the volume of information just comes at you uh, fast and furious. Of like, okay, uh, histology, pathology, I can learn this way. Anatomy, I have to learn this different way. Pathophys, I need to learn this different way. And you're constantly adjusting to to whatever information is coming at you. So I think a lot of people get very rigid with like, this is the way that I study. It's the only way that's worked. And I'm not going to change it. And, the, and they don't adjust or course correct is what the, the language that I, I like to use. So uh, that's awesome. So when choosing a program, so you mentioned at, at your program, you have this learning specialist, which is great. Uh, a lot of students get very confused and overwhelmed with, okay, this one has a certificate. This one doesn't has, have a certificate. Uh, this one's one year. This one is two years. This one requires an MCAT to get in. This one does MCAT prep uh, after you get in. What should a student do to to find the program that's going to work best for them? Yeah, so I, I think the first step is kind of uh, looking at your undergraduate GPA and seeing, is this is this the main thing that I need to address? And nine times out of 10 for post-bac applicants, that's the, the thing that a student needs to address. Mm. Um, because you want to look for a program that does grading and it grades undergraduate grades. Because if a post-bac program doesn't have undergraduate grades as part of its curriculum, it's not going to help you improve your undergraduate grade point average. And so mm. while many times a graduate program can be good, 
um, that is factored into your grad grades. It doesn't directly impact your undergraduate GPA. So that can be a first indicator that a student really just needs to find a place that is, is undergraduate, whether it's certificate or not. In fact, when, we, when our program started, we were not a certificate granting program. Uh, just last year, we are we are now a certificate program granting program. And <laughs> Uh, for all intents and purposes, our, our program hasn't changed <laughs> at changed. all. It's yeah. doing, you know, it's doing the exact same thing, and our students are seeing the same level of success. Yeah. But I think students wanted, and this is something that an applicant has to ask themselves: How important is having a certificate, um, you know, to them? Is that super important? Is it super in important to their parents if their parents are paying for the post back? Yeah. Um, but but in most cases, just as far as just the practicality of it goes, certificate versus not is is of, of little importance to uh, to most post back students. Yeah. Um, as far as the do you need a, a a a MCAT or not getting into the program? MCAT. Um, it's interesting. If your program is really designed to fast track you into a medical school, so for example, many times a post back program is housed at a medical school. Mm -hmm. The idea is that you come to that post back program, and at the end of that time, you fast track right into their medical school that's directly connected to that post back program. Mm -hmm. Many times you'll see them, they will need the uh, MCAT for that because you are actually applying to medical school. Uh, even though it's it's front loaded with the postback program, then there are programs like ours which we don't require the MCAT because our students can be fast tracked to Temple's Medical School, but most of our students apply broadly to medical schools across the country. Mm -hmm. So that would be something that a student would really need to look at. Um, and many times those programs that do fast track you typically do have higher uh, test score requirements and higher GPA requirements for admission into those. So sometimes that autom automatically, unfortunately, eliminates some really you know, great students from a program housed at a medical school because uh, they say you have to have a 3-4, for example, and that student has a 3-3. And yeah. that 3-3 student is, a, is probably a fantastic student uh, for our program, for example. They can come do well, uh, knock it out of the park with the classes, prep for the MCAT, blow that out of the water, and they're ready to go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of options and it really is confusing. Um, so use the interview day as an opportunity. If, if the, the postback program does have an interview day, use that as an opportunity to ask as many questions as you can because you need to feel comfortable in that environment yeah. um, at the postback program. What about students who are struggling to find clinical experience or research or shadowing? I, I've seen a lot of programs starting to kind of build that into their curriculum as well to say, hey, come to our program and we'll have all of that set up for you. Is that something that should factor into the, a decision on where to go? I think it can. Um, I think if that's something that you are lacking and you need that to maybe test yourself too, um, to determine if this is the profession for you. And so, you know, for our program, if a student is kind of in the mode where they're still trying to fi figure things out and they don't have the clinical experience yet, again, may not be the best part, the best fit for our program. We want people that really know that, yes, I, I have the healthcare experience I need and I know that medicine is for me. But there are other programs that, and, and some of them are even structured in two-year uh, increments where the first year you do uh, the classes and then the second year you might work in a lab. You mm -hmm. may even sometimes teach in a lab. It's kind of like a grad grad assistantship and you get some 
some uh, research or some clinical hours that way. So if that's important to you, if that's something that you don't have, then sure, um, something to look at. But um, again, I think for a lot of programs, it's the grades that are the focus because typically a student, um, if they already have enough clinical experiences and they have lower grades, then a post-bac program has a great opportunity. If it's the other way around where they have great grades and they don't have the clinical experiences, then a post-bac program may not even be something that they, they necessarily need. Yeah. So they, they really do have to kind of look at what they have and, and fit it to the program. And knowing that, that it may not fit at every post-bac program, every yeah. post-bac program structures things differently and that it, that's okay. There's no right one uh, correct way to do a post-bac. Yeah. So I, I'm glad you talked about this high GPA student, not a lot of clinical, may not need a post-bac because it seems like it's very reflexive for a lot of students to apply to medical school, 3.8 GPA, solid trends, no, no issues. They don't get in for one reason or another, whether it's it's bad activities, bad essay writing, bad interview skills, whatever, bad, poor MCAT score. And reflexively, they'll apply to post-bac programs thinking that's what they need. And and it, a little piece of me dies inside going, like, don't waste your money. The post-bac programs are to prove, prove academic capability. Your 3.8 did that already. What do you say to those yeah. those students? Yeah, in fact, I was just speaking to a student group on campus the other day, and a student asked me, when is my GPA too high for a post-bac program? And <laughs> it, it's kind of a variation of what you just, what you said, right? Uh, and you're right. Uh, it, I think you're right that students that maybe don't know what to do, they've always kind of had this very clear plan laid out in their head or on paper or in some spreadsheet on their computer. And then it doesn't work out that way. And you're right, their panic sets in. They, they think they need something to do. And you're right, a post-bac program isn't always best. Sometimes it could be a good idea to just scribe for a year, just get some more experience, really take a look at uh, what their application uh, has in it, what they were missing and how they could address those things. Because you're right, Clearly, it's not that they can do school and do rigorous school because the a three eight demonstrates that pretty well. Uh, it's probably something else, and it's probably something they can learn from watching some of your videos online, listening to your podcast, and talking to their health professions advisor. So, uh, yeah, these are all really, really important factors. Yeah, I, I, I was searching for my book here because I have a whole <laughs> chapter. I'm trying to find. Um, uh, there, there's a whole chapter on rejection and reapplying with a very clear, like, let's review your application, right? Let's look at your MCAT and hear some thoughts about the MCAT. Let's look at your GPA uh, with some thoughts about the GPA. It really helping students do that self-reflection, kind of guiding them through that self-reflection so that they don't make a mistake and spend a lot of money on a program that they probably didn't need in the first place. So um, yeah, very, very uh, good words there. I, I am glad you brought up. Let's rewind a bunch and just for the very basics, right? What classes are students taking in a post-bac program? Yeah. So, um, you know, for the career changer post-bacs, they're taking all those things that give a lot of our students like PTSD, like <laughs> chem one and two, bio one and two, organic physics two, you know, all the things that a, a pre-med starts out taking from their freshman, sophomore year. Yeah. Um, when you get into an advanced uh, program, one that is designed to be a record enhancer, you're going to see things like uh, 
more advanced biochemistries, anatomy, physiologies, and in many cases, maybe things that students are saying, well, I already took that mm -hmm. as an undergrad. Um, and, and I can, I'll speak for our program. Yeah, they may be titled similarly to things that you took as an undergrad, but they're, they're taught with a very different slant. Mm. Um, because in our program, for example, our students are taking classes only with their, their post-bac cohort. They're not in with the general undergraduate student population. And so in that case, um, they're taking microbiology, uh, cell and, and molecular biology, cancer bio. Um, there's a lot, there's so many offerings in different post-bac programs. I'll do it maybe a little bit differently. Um, but most of the time, if they're a pre-health post-bac program, they're mapped directly to uh, the MCAT, uh, the, the components of the MCAT and the stuff that you're going to see on that as far as uh, content goes. Yeah. That's an interesting angle. Uh, you're saying at, at your program, students are taking courses with their cohort in the post-bac program. Here, uh, right down the road from me at University of Colorado, um, they have a post-bac program that is not inexpensive, but the students are taking classes with the general undergrad population. Does that, should that factor into where a student goes and, uh, and how quote-unquote competitive the post-bac program is in helping their GPA and helping prove to medical schools that they're academically capable? Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to disparage any postback program and the way they've chosen to structure things because um, I know, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of them out there and they all yeah. do it in different ways. But I really think it's, you know, I always use this analogy of car shopping when shopping for postbacks because if, you know, five cup holders are super important to you in a car, then you're only going to look for cars that have five cup holders, right? Yeah. So uh, if you don't care about cup holders, then you you remove that from your decision making process. And so if having postback classes with your cohort only surrounded by people that get what you're trying to do and trying to accomplish and you don't want to be taking intro bio for example with you know 17 <laughs> 18 year old freshmen all the greek life people who are hung over sure. from the weekend <laughs> exactly so i think i think you know it really is how you how you what you find to be important as an applicant right yeah. if you want to avoid those freshmen and greek life folks and really focus on other people that are in their mid twenties to early thirties that are in the same boat you're in, then yeah, then I, I think that could be a really important factor. I'm again, I'm biased because our program yeah. is like that and very structured, but I can also see how it's a function of just what's practical, what's close by, what you can yep. afford, what you can get to, and not everybody has, uh, you know, the privilege of being able to just pack up, move to Philadelphia for a year, even though a lot of students do that. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's not not everybody's able to take that on and do that, whether it be finances or home life or a number of factors that might keep students from doing that. So I wouldn't say there's a right or wrong way, but I think a student knows whether it's right or wrong for them. Yeah, I, I love putting it that way. Right. Don't. And I talk about this all the time, just in general, is don't try to play the game of what are medical schools going to like better do what works best for you as a student. So that's that's a perfect way to to uh to answer that question. So when it comes to applying to medical school, I see it often. I, I just talked to a student the other day for uh I think it was an Ask Dr. Gray episode. Student was in a postback program because they needed GPA enhancement, right? They they needed their their grades to to prove that they're academically capable. Unfortunately, they applied to medical school not 
long after they started their postback program and grades weren't even in by the time they applied to, to medical school and submitted their applications. In my mind, that was a wasted application because they're hoping that medical schools will take an update and say, here are my grades from my first semester of my postback program. I promise I'm going to do well my next semester. You should you should just take my promise, and uh, I'm I'm a I'm a <laughs> I'm a good guy. You should believe me, and uh, and and hopefully accept me to medical school, even though my AMCAS GPA or Comus GPA, or whatever, uh, doesn't really show anything. What what advice do you give to students when it comes to that timing of an application to medical school? knowing that they're in your program to improve their grades. Yeah, it's a really tough one. And you're right. I mean, we see it every year. We have 100 total students in our program. And usually we have one or two each year that is in the app cycle and is doing exactly what you described. And um, many times those students already have, they're probably usually on the higher end of the grade averages than the, the, the most of the people in our program. But it is tough. And it, it can work out. Like you said, um, it usually only works out though when they have an interview and not only when they have an interview, but they've been waitlisted, right? So, um, you know, you have to, you have to really bet on yourself and hope that that can happen. And sometimes it does. And they're able to take their grades from the post back after the end of the fall, update that transcript with, with it, but it, it is really tough. And it's typically not something that we recommend that our students do. Um, but, you know, I will say that each year there's usually one or two that, is an exception, but it's only because they that all of the dominoes are lined up just perfectly and they all happen to fall just perfectly. And it's a really hard thing to pull off. Um, but most of the time, I'm going to give them the advice you do, which is just wait, get your house in order, get your finances in order, get your, you know, your clinical experiences in order. And then when you're when you take a year, defer to the post back. And then when you come, you'll be ready to go. And you'll really be ready to hit the ground running. So it's tough. It works out for some of our students, and we love it when it does. Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely not something that we encourage our students to do. Yeah. In my mind, there's there's a lot of potential for distraction. <laughs> yes. In case you haven't heard, there's a lot that goes into applying to medical school and taking the MCAT, and it takes a lot of time to do all of that correctly. And you're in a program to prove that you're academically capable, and that should be taking up a lot of your time as well. So you don't want to add extra distractions that don't need to be there. And it, it's easy for for us on this side, right? For me, on, on the other side of medical school and stuff, and I understand school, students want to kind of get their life going and, and get into school so they can start uh, start that whole process. But a year to do it properly is is uh, a safer bet. And I typically am very conservative when it's like, yes, like go ahead and apply. You're you're good. So yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. You you want it all to just to be just right. And many times we see that pressure isn't coming from the student. It, many times it's coming from their parents who are just oh, yes. saying, you know, just throw an app out there. Just throw oh. an app there. It's, the 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 good the the worst uh, saying that we hear, which is just see what happens, just right? We hear happens. that all the time. Yeah, and uh, it's it's not the way we like to play this. And I agree with you. Be you know you have to be very intentional. You have to. It's a it's a complicated, complex process, and you really have to to approach it when you're ready to do it. You want your first app to be your best app. That's what I always say. Thousand percent. What is what is the biggest mistake you see your postback students making throughout this process? Yeah, um, it, I think I'll 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 bang that 
that drum again for distractions. It's students who we always tell them that our program is is kind of like year one A of medical school. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to approach, even though you're not in medical school, you have to approach this year, um, this rigorous postback year as that. So you really have to focus, you really have to make sure that your personal distractions can be uh, can be mediated and that you can really focus on the coursework. A lot of the things that students uh, make mistakes on while they're in the post are the same things that were, they were making mistakes on as undergrads that have, have put them in the same position that they need to be in an academic record enhancer program. So, you know, we, we really tell them to focus, uh, build study groups, don't try to study on your own, go see our learning skills specialist, and really dive in and take this seriously. And sometimes for some students, it means even doing things like quitting their job and really focusing on the post back for a year. And, you know, we can't ask that everybody quit their job and go back to school, but, but many times that's what's needed for a student to really uh, demonstrate that they can do the work. And, and many times when that distraction is taken away, they, they do, they step up and, and they make the grades. Yeah. There are lots of programs out there, post back programs, SMPs, et cetera, that potentially don't have structured support and advising to, to help students apply to whatever professional school they they want to apply to. Again, going back to kind of our earlier set of questions, is that something that students should factor into their decision of whether or not a program offers the the advising side of having a pre-health advising specifically for that cohort of students? Again, as, as a longtime health professions advisor, I'm pretty biased here too. I mean, I think so. And I know a lot of students haven't had uh, necessarily always had the best experiences with their undergraduate advisor, at, at, especially when they're at a large institution. Um, but I think it's important if you can find a smaller cohort that does provide that advising. Sure, I, I think it can be a huge benefit. You don't have to do it on, you, on your own. Um, you don't have to figure it out yourself. You can go to somebody that knows what they're talking about and can, can help you kind of guide you through that, that program. Again, I'm, I'm very biased, admittedly, when it comes to that. Um, but I think, you know, the analogy, and I'm sorry, I use a lot of analogies, but one of the, one of them that I use here is the gym analogy in that sometimes a student can just go work out in the gym. They don't need a personal trainer. They can walk from machine to machine and stay motivated and work out and they don't feel awkward or weird and they know exactly how everything works and they go in, they work out for an hour and they leave and it's great. A lot of people say, that's cool, but I need a personal trainer to show me how to use that machine and to walk me through it and maybe even be in my ear cheering me on. It's maybe sometimes even yelling at me to keep (laughs) me motivated. And if you're one of those kind of people that needs a personal trainer for your academic uh, life, then yes, it's a really big part of your program. If you're one of those people that can just roll in the gym and do it on your own, (laughs) maybe it's not that big of a deal. And so I I think you really, it kind of goes back to the introspection. You really have to look at yourself and ask, is that something I need? And was that something that was keeping me from being able to do as well as I might have, have needed to do as an undergrad? Love it. I love it. Caleb, is there anything else about post programs that we didn't hit today that you feel like students really need to know? Um, I, I think I'll reiterate a point we made earlier that you that while I, again, I love our program and I love what our program does, we also understand that post programs are expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also understand that you don't necessarily have to go to a formal post program to cobble together post coursework. And you can do them 
in a, um, a cheaper way sometimes and in a more convenient, easier way sometimes. And that's what you have to do to make it work for you. Uh, don't feel self-conscious about comparing yourself to others that maybe got to go to a really great post-bac program like ours. Uh, because in the end, as you mentioned, if you do your work, you do well, um, and you and you show that you can do well in the courses, uh, and then of course do well in the MCAT, then it doesn't matter if you go to a formal post-bac program uh, or if you try to do it on your own. So just just want to make sh- sure that your listeners are aware that yeah, it's great, but we also understand that it's not ideal and can't always be done for everyone. Yeah. Where can students? Two two questions. Where can students find out more about your specific program? And are you part of Postback Cast? Yes, so we are part of Postback Cast, um, and uh, we are just if you Google CST Temple Postback, uh, we're the first thing that comes up right here in Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, uh, part of Postback Cast. So even if you're not uh, going directly to our website, you can just type Temple in there, uh, and we'll show up. But uh, yeah, Postback Cast is 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 a great thing. It's really helped uh, students organize their apps, get everything together. And it's great practice for getting ready for the larger application services when you're applying to things like AdSAS, Acomis, uh, and AMCAS. Yeah. So Postback CAS is that centralized application service that um, same company that runs Acomis for DO applications for all of you. Wondering what Postback CAS is. Okay, Caleb, thank you for coming on, sharing your Postback wisdom with people. And uh, I'm excited, and and hopefully we get a lot of people interested in Temple's program. Yeah, Ryan, thanks for having me. It's been fun. It's good to see you, and uh, keep up the good work. All right, there you have it. Again, Caleb Marsh, the admissions director at Temple University's CST Postback program. If you want to find out more about Temple University's CST program, just Google CST Postback at Temple because it's a pretty long uh, pretty long URL to give you. Just Google Temple University CST Postback and you will find it. And, and remember, they are part of the Postback CAS, which is the centralized application service that uh, allows you to apply to many Postback programs with one application service. It's the same kind of platform that the DO applications are built off of. So uh, go check them out. Hopefully this was helpful for you if you are in need of a postback program and maybe you thought you were in need of a postback program and hopefully we gave you some information to let you know that you don't need it. Thank you, Caleb, for taking some time to join us today. I hope you all have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.